0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am Steven Manuel.
1: And I am Dora Manuel.
0: And we're going to talk to you about accusation. Um, huge subject. We're going to dive in just a second before we kind of dig in. We're just going to show you a quick video that illustrates what a lot of us deal with on a daily basis.
1: wonder why I was brought into this world. I don't know
0: why I really did nothing but damage, anyways.
1: You disappointed me from the
0: day you did that. I'm not that bad of a person. At least I don't think so. Stole for this. help you. You beat your brother. You beat your father. I'm trying my best.
1: Not. You slapped me. And you scored your words. I keep falling short.
0: And then you hit that kid. You hit that kid at school. Remember? Remember you, never, you never Why do you got to bring that up? He It was an accident. Things you did, I couldn't forget. What? Me? You're blaming me for everything. I had to. How oh, dare you? I gave you everything that you needed. I had no choice.
1: You were too prideful.
0: Why are you bringing that up?
1: I never wish I You never be forgiven. No, too, too arrogant. Doing the best I can. Too lost. Actually, no, just give up.
0: Kill yourself. Anymore. What do you mean, kill myself? yourself. You were lost. You got further away. How come you grew up this way? Far away. now, know Thank you so much Father, take me home, take me home. Heavy stuff there but for a lot of us that feels familiar to be struggling with voices in your head all day long that are condemning you and those voices is that's the voice of accusation. There's a verse in Proverbs 18 that says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We wanna be aware of the power that there is in words, and we wanna be people who eat the good stuff, that get the good stuff out of our words and know how to sidestep um, what the enemy wants to bring to us because of accusation. So I'll turn it over to you.
1: Okay, I'll start with the definition of accusation it's the voice of condemnation that declares christ's sacrifice as insufficient for redemption which pushes people into the law to be justified by works now when i read that definition it sounds like a lot of spiritual big words condemnation redemption the law Um, so said another way accusation is basically when you hear voices You hear words from maybe inside your own heart or from other people that tell you things that are not true about yourself, that tell you that you're worthless, you're unlovable, you're unkind, you're mean, you're not good enough, and that you believe those things in your heart. And because you believe those things in your heart, you have rejected what God has said about who you are and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you and you have said those sacrifices that you made for me that sacrifice ultimate sacrifice that you made that was powerful enough to bring truth and to make me holy and pure and by me believing bad things about myself that the enemy is feeding into me I am basically saying what you did for me to make me holy and blameless is insufficient it's insignificant it doesn't matter And so instead of believing the good stuff and the the truth and the sacrifice that you did for me, I'm going to go try to perform my way. I'm going to go try to do all of these things in order to make myself good enough and holy enough. So that's that's my definition of the voice of condemnation that declares Christ's sacrifices as insignificant for redemption. Um, So there are some doorways, as with everything else, on how a spirit of accusation can find its way um, into your life. And one of those is generational. Just plain, you get it honest, it's passed down from, from your family, your family, people in your family feel accused, you therefore feel accused. And often what I have seen, I've seen this in my own family, is that people that have generational accusation they kind of pass it on to each other and they make other people in their family feel feel accused. I always feel accused by people in my family. They might ask me like, where'd you go for breakfast? And immediately here hear, was I supposed to be somewhere else? Or, you know, just anything like that. And I have found that in my life, people, I tend to ask a lot of questions. And I have felt in my life that people around me tend to feel accused by me, just by random things that I ask. So it's definitely generational and I've seen some evidence in, it in my own life. Um, Problems stemming from pregnancy or birth, blamed on a baby. So say you were in your mother's womb and um, that was like an unwanted pregnancy and you automatically feel blame. Oh, I'm bringing problems into this life. I'm bringing problems. I I just feel at fault for even coming into an existence. Um, A lack of nurturing. So if you've experienced any kind of lack of nurturing um, from either one of your parents or particularly a father, you can also feel accused because you don't have that secure sense of I'm wanted, I'm loved, I'm cared for. So um, religion as an entry point for the law. So oftentimes religion, a spirit of religion can, or just religion in general, can make you feel like you have to perform in order to be accepted, in order to be saved, in order to be any of those things. Um, the next one is acceptance of blame put on you or others, another word for that is a curse. So you might have received a curse from somebody that says, um, you know, you, be, because you came into this situation it got really messed up, or you were an accident, or you know, you'll never amount to anything. All of those things are curses and they can make you feel very blamed and very accused. Um, Negative self-talk and self-condemnation. I know that probably every single person hearing this has experienced a lot of negative self-talk about themselves, a lot of self-condemnation. I did this wrong, I'm wrong, I did this, Um, I shouldn't have done that, I wish I would have done it differently. Just that negative self-talk can invite a spirit of accusation to come in and find a place in your heart. And any words that you're condemned for any reason, anybody putting any blame, assignment, any, you know, false finding on you for any reason can be a doorway for a spirit of accusation. Um, so, grow uh, growing up, I, something I would hear a lot in my family, just an example of an accusation I received was that I was scatterbrained. Uh, my dad used to tell me all the time, you're so scatterbrained, you're so scatterbrained. In reality, I can be a little bit here and there. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm scatterbrained, but I can have my hand in a lot of different things and move from like a million things. And so, I received that, scatterbrain accusation as true, and I lived with it like from the time I was like 13 to, you know, I don't know, when I first heard this teaching, that I was a scatterbrain, and then it grew roots in my life, and it actually became true, and then I started being like really absent-minded and really scatterbrained, it wasn't until I identified, wait, that was an accusation that I received about myself, that I was able to like recognize the truth and walk out of it. So. You can, you're probably even thinking of accusations that you've heard right now and how maybe they've played out.
0: And You should, by the way. Let, let's encourage everybody that while you're listening to this to be taking notes. And you're going to be remembering accusations. I remember being called a fat ass in seventh grade. like, And it wormed its way into my heart. We need to remember those accusations and be writing them down. Because those are the kind of things that we're going to be processing through with our drill groups. So... Yeah, as you remember them, get them down.
1: Yep. Um, Okay, so we'll do a little bit breakdown into more of a description of, um, of accusation. So this belief, you know, basically any legitimate reason that you or others to be condemned and cut off from a relationship with God and man, that belief nullifies the redemption work of Christ by preaching condemnation based on one's failures and an empty promise of justification by works, it seeks to bind people to the hamster will of the law, never releasing them into their their destiny in Jesus. So again, as I mentioned before, it basically nullifies the work that Christ did for you and it puts you accountable to all of your actions and everything that you do and and you'll be on a hamster wheel. You will never live up to everything that everybody says that you should be or that you say that you should be in yourself. Um, for the record, if I hadn't said it, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to make you whole and perfect and blameless, and that's it. So anything that says anything outside of that, that you are not enough, is false. It's an, it's an accusation. So one thing the accusation loves to do is it attaches itself to people's shortcomings permanently. So we all have shortcomings in our life. We all have done things that have we wish we wouldn't have done or have made a mistake, but that's just part of that's just part of life. Thanks thanks to Jesus' work on the cross, we can just move on from those things. But accusing spirits will attach your shortcomings to you permanently. It finds fault and blame and calls you into an account for anything that you do. And it passes judgment and condemnation on you and your person and yourself. Just for, for any any given thing or reason. It just wants you to call yourself into account. And by doing that, it nullifies the work of Christ in you. Um, The next, go ahead. Because of
0: this permanent thing that she mentioned, even if I were to apologize or confess some shortcoming, God's truth would be, okay, then that thing is separated from you as far as the East is from the West. A spirit of accusation would say, no, that's still who you are even if you kind of dealt with the sin best you know no that's who you are and it's that permanence that i can never get out from under these these condemning labels that spirit is from the devil so it's hard for us to describe things like how to, what exactly gets said because it's as we'll see in a second there'll be there'll be truth involved and it can be really Hard to discern what is the voice of the enemy. It's the spirit behind it that is accusation. It's not whether it's on the face true or not, it's that there's this there's this pointing thing that goes, This is who you are, you'll never get out from it. It'll always be you. Mm-hmm. That's not the Lord. Mm-mm. Because he says that he's renewing us all the mm-hmm. time. He's gonna make us like his son.
1: And I think that some of us have unknowingly received accusation from the enemy that maybe we thought was the god was God pointing out you know, trying to bring us to conviction and to repentance. And so the enemy might be like, you're a loser. You screwed up. You did this. And we're like, oh, that was God speaking to me. And that was God telling me that I need to repent. And, um, and it's not because God doesn't speak to us that way. He, it's his kindness that brings repentance. And he lovingly points us to our sin and, and calls us to repent. And we will talk about the difference between accusation from the enemy and what godly conviction looks like. Um, later. So another thing about what the enemy does is that he likes to separate us through accusation from God, from our relationship with God. His whole goal is separation. So it's from God, it's from each other, and it's from ourselves. He's pretty creative to be able to separate from ourselves. Um, So separation is its goal of accusation, and it separates us in three ways. I mentioned God... um, from god 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 his person and god's word so the enemy wants to get you far away from the word because the word illuminates the truth about who god is and who you are in him so this so the enemy is like i want to separate you from god i want you to believe i want you to believe that god is a bad guy that god's mad at you that god hates you and feel completely separated from him and the next thing it is that it separates us from ourselves. we i think in talking about all of these evil spirits, we realize that this evil spirit puts on like like a, a layer on us that prevents us from being who we are and who God has called us to be. And so we're separated from ourselves. We're separated from who God has made us to be. Um, I'll give you an example of that uh, in my life of where I was totally separated from myself. Um, just from my growing up experiences, I did not at all... They want to have anything, family did not want to play a big part of my life. I come from a really hurtful family. So I grew up with this accusation that I wasn't a good family member. Being in a family isn't awesome. You know, being in a family is painful. So I made it my life's ambition, I'm just going to be a businesswoman. And I don't want to have kids, and I don't want to have pets because you have to like nurture and care for pets. And I just kind of created a little bit of a shell for me to protect myself from really the whole accusation of what being in a family meant. And so, you know, going into marriage, I mean, I wasn't even totally sure that I was gonna have kids. And then when I finally realized, oh, I think the Lord wants me to have kids, I dealt with this huge accusation that I was gonna be a terrible mother, that I wasn't gonna be able to love and nurture my kids. And I used to have dreams that like, I would have a baby in a car seat and that I would leave it everywhere. Like I would leave it at the airport or like I would get on planes without it. I just. I was receiving accusation in dreams that I would be a bad mom, and
0: in reality, we have only left our kids a couple of (laughs) times—just
1: a couple of times at the airport, and we've gone. It's not even that big of a problem. Someone finds the car seat, right? Yeah. Anyway, so for a long time, I received this huge accusation about motherhood, and that was completely an accusation that separated me from myself. Because the truth is that—and we do have two kids. The truth is that God created me to be a mother, and he graded me to be an amazing mother. And we have two beautiful children now that I am fully nurturing, that I'm fully qualified to take care of, and it's one of the joys of my life to be to be a mother. And even crazier than that, I'm homeschooling, so you gotta know that I really like being a mother if you wanna spend all the time with your kids. So, I mean, if you would've told my 18-year-old self, you're gonna have kids, you're gonna love motherhood, it's gonna be the biggest joy in your life, You're gonna even, you know, homeschool. I would have been like, that sounds like awful because I'm gonna be a terrible mother. So in that sense, that's how an accusing spirit separated me from myself, from who I thought that I was versus who God called me to be. And then another one is from others. It can separate you from your family and your friends from the body. If you have an accusation about yourself that you're not a good friend, or that you only cause pain to people, you want to separate yourself from other people. Those relationships that God has called you into to bring you close to, you're going to reject because you you have an, a bad belief and an accusation about yourself. So that's the enemy's goal. Is he wants to separate you in three ways, and we see how God did, how God tried to do that. Um, in in genesis but god separated um god and man you know with with his first creation Um, man and man you know had adam and Eve fighting and you know god from from himself so and god's intention is to restore unity in all three of those areas um guilt and accusation i mean guilt and shame so another thing that accusation wants to do it wants to bring guilt it wants to just pour and pour guilt on you. Guilt is an agreement with accusation. So every time you say yes to this false belief about yourself, you are producing guilt in yourself. And then shame is an emotional byproduct of guilt. So as long as everybody, anybody feels that God is somehow angry or upset with them, um, That's the goal of accusation. It's as though if there are walls around their emotional system protecting them from harm, you just kind of build this shell around you. Guilt and shame kind of produce that shell around you. But those shells around you of guilt and shame also block the light of Christ to come in and provide healing from those wounds. Um, Accusation can lead to bitterness as we resent the perceived source of the accusation. Want to add anything to that? Okay. so a little confusing thing about accusation that we really have to be in our guard. I think all of us can kind of catalog through our thoughts and be like, well, I think that about myself. That's probably dirty. It's probably not true. Yeah, maybe, you know, or I've been called this and I believe this. And um, so those things are a little bit easier to, to separate. But one one kind of tricky part of accusation is that it can come with truth. So the enemy knows the word. He, is familiar with it and he can easily manipulate it and bring accusation to you in the form of truth, but that doesn't make it okay. So, I mentioned earlier how we see the separation thing happening um, in, the, in the beginning with God's creation, with God's first creation, Adam and Eve. And so, we'll see truth coming in with accusation in, in uh, Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam said, little first utter words of accusation in the Bible it says the woman that you gave me gave me this fruit so he's he's kind of accusing God of you know the woman you gave me God gave me this fruit factually it's true but there's a spirit of accusation in there um, because all of a sudden he's accusing' <laughs> This woman that's been given to him of giving him this fruit.
0: All three of those separations happen in that one statement. Yeah. He says, this woman, he's pointing at her. Separation
1: between him and Eve.
0: That you gave me. Now he's pointing his finger at God and saying there's a break in their relationship. She gave me this fruit and she made me do it. Now there's a break there Mm -hmm. that he doesn't even understand. No, Adam, you have agency you make a choice, she didn't make you eat it, you chose. And all three of those things are broken, and that that spirit of accusation is just sitting right in the middle of all of those statements. So again, Dora said, it's factually true. That is true, God did give him a woman and she gave him the fruit and he ate it. That's all true, but there's a spirit there that's meant to tear down, that's meant to break things apart, the third paragraph down in this little section says that accusation tears down and love builds up. That's how you can look for that spirit. Yes, obviously God, I mean, maybe we're going to get to this at some point in the notes. But yes, God, tell, God would tell us corrective things about us and say, Stephen, you really have a problem being critical. Let's talk about it because I want to make you whole. I want to free you up from this thing. The enemy would say, You're, you are critical. That's who you are. And you're condemned to be that way forever and so that truth as dora said it can be a little tough to navigate and we have to ask the lord to give us discernment to know where that spirit of accusation is present and will so that we will not confuse it when with the true conviction of his holy spirit which is always done to restore us which is always done in love
1: Mm -hmm. so here's a few phrases that accusation can sound like Um... You're such a control freak, or you never consider others. Maybe it's true that you could be more considering of others. I think we all could probably stand to be more considering others, but words used like never, like you never consider others. That feels very accusing for me, rather than the Lord kind of putting his arm around you and being like, hey, let's take some more time to look at others and consider them. That wasn't directed to you.
0: I just like you touching my shoulders, (laughs) fine. (laughs) <laughs>
1: um let's see. Oh, um replaying replaying things, holding a record of wrongs and replaying them in your head later. Um, you always avoid conflict. If you were serious about your relationship, here's a good spiritual religious one. If you were serious about your relationship with God, you would read the Bible more
0: or go to Africa or give more money or go to more church services, blah blah blah.
1: Yeah. That's That's that, accusation. Yeah, that sounds like the the religion as an entry point for the law. Yes. Um, let's see.
0: Let me just. I'm going to read this second to last paragraph just as it's written. If you fail, okay, you blow it, and you come to God about that failure, but you can't experience His forgiveness. One of two things, either you haven't acknowledged God's total forgiveness in Jesus, and it's just, you just can't. You just can't. Swallow the fact, you know what? I'm just going to believe that he forgives me because he says he does. Or there's an accusing spirit at work. And so if that's you, you know that you failed, you've come to God about that failure, you're not experiencing forgiveness. I would always, if I'm talking to anybody who's in that situation, I would always say, well, we're just going to silence the spirit of accusation because it's not the Lord. And we'd remind ourselves of some basic biblical truths, which is, Jesus either has to, the power to forgive the big bad sins, or he doesn't have any power. And so that, that deal of being able to actually conquer, um, let his forgiveness conquer your failures, it's a pretty big deal. And so look for, just look for that when, there's a, when you're doing the work of confession, et cetera, and you're like, I just don't, I'm just not feeling like he's forgiven me. There might be a spirit of accusation there. Okay
1: um Just a couple of other things of how the um, enemy accuses us is, is we talked about how he knows the word. He manipulates God's word to us. So if you are ignorant of the word, he can use that against you. For an example, there's a verse in uh, Romans that says that we not we ought not to think of ourselves higher than we should. The enemy can turn that into think of yourself as nothing. you're nothing, you're not important. you're you're nothing when the scripture is just kind of cautioning us. Don't think of yourself more than you should. And then um, I have a friend who she would just hear something totally different from what her husband would say. She, Her husband would ask her to help her clean the kitchen. And then she would hear out of that, you're a bad wife. So just be careful, like you know, how you hear the what the enemy says, especially using his word. And another thing that he likes to do is, I think we maybe touched on this. He really loves to remind us of our past sins and replay them for us. You know, we know that the scripture says that Jesus has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. But you might be, you know, laying in bed one night and past sin will come to your head, and he just likes to replay and remind you of those. Um, and then another thing that he likes to do is keeping you from separating from others and from God, is he likes to, um, he wants to keep you in that shame that we talked about, that, that shame, that emotional byproduct of guilt, and he will want, keep you from confessing your sins to one another. So a sin that you can simply confess and get out, he wants you to keep keep that in the darkness so that he can play in your mind and remind you over and over again to keep you bogged down in the shame and the guilt. But confession brings healing and freedom, so. Let's see, okay, accusation tears down. So we'll go back, Uh, accusation tears down and love builds up. So anytime you feel torn down, broken down, then you know that that is not from the Lord, it's from the enemy, because love always builds up. Love builds you up, tells you, you're okay, we just kinda need to work on these things in your life. Accusation focuses on the problem, you know, you're, you're lazy, you're not considerate, you're not kind, but grace focuses on the solution, like, you know, Hey, let's work on you getting up earlier and taking care of some things. Accusation appears to take you into righteousness, but it really actually brings you death, just brings you into the law. You can't perform your way into God's grace. Um, If you fail to come to God, you can't experience his forgiveness. You either haven't acknowledged that God's total forgiveness in Jesus. You know that you haven't acknowledged God's total forgiveness in Jesus or an accusing spirit is at work. The result is that you simply don't feel worthy of God's glory in your life. As you feel accused, you have two options, to wall in your guilt and shame, or attempt to, attempt to rise out of it by, by efforts. Don't go into efforts, don't go into the law. Either way, death is all around. So you want to add
0: to that? Okay, no. Okay. okay, let's talk about underlings. These are those spirits that prop up accusation. They help it work well. They can also be the things that you deal with so that you never get to the real stronghold of accusation. You just have to deal with this low-lying stuff. And they can be helpful in, if you see a number, you like, well, I don't know if I have this accusation thing, but you see a number of these things in your life that might be an indicator that they're hiding the boss in the back. So they're the underlings. So unworthiness, that would obviously be a consequence of somebody that... Um, deals with a lot of accusations they feel like i'm not worthy of love or i'm not i'm not worthy of um, blessing i'm not worthy of success etc self-rejection self-explanatory rebellion would be um, a consequence of somebody that says i can never measure up i know that i'm a i know that i'm a failure a loser whatever and so I'll just act out. I'll just prove it to everybody. Um, I'll kick the doors out of this place because nothing matters, because I know that I'll never measure up. Um, my deal with underlings is I'll just I'll just talk about a couple that I think are really key to understanding accusation or things that you might not understand on the face of it, such as a word like programming. What does that mean, programming? Um, programming is just um, a way of describing a spirit that automates you in how to react. So programming um, would be that you're so used to being accused by your father of um, of not trying hard enough with sports that when he that when he when one of those things comes along, you you just have this script that that you play automatically, and you simply go, "I'll try harder, Dad." Because you're just so you, there's like this category in your brain for when I receive this accusation, I'll do this thing. You swallow it, okay? I need to perform better, and you say, "I'll try next. I'll try harder, Dad." Um, and you're not even thinking about what's being said here. What is the accusation exactly? I'm trying. No, I tried my best. I've only got so much. I'm I'm dying here. You know that might be a that might be an authentic response to that accusation. So programming can be present other ones make sense, other page, Um, comparison, competition, competition can be um, an interesting giveaway for accusation because um, especially in America, we just think that competitions are just a kind of a good, fun, healthy, let's get the most out of life thing. But competition, I, I know what it felt like for me, uh, specifically tennis growing up was I need to be number one. I need to do things right all the time. And if I'm not, I fail. And there is a, there's an accusation waiting, just waiting behind any of us that don't make it to the top, whatever your competition is. If I don't hit my sales numbers, if I don't get to the, to the top of my org chart, Um, If I don't have the most kids or homeschool the best way or look the prettiest on dates and seem to have my house together, whatever your deal is, that spirit of comparison and competition, you do that, that kind of maniac perform anxiety thing because there's an accusation waiting for you and you know it. And that thread is what keeps you pushing, pushing, pushing. So that can be a really good indicator that there's accusation present. Dora referenced replay, and replay is that thing that keeps spinning the same tapes over and over Mm -hmm. again so that you never feel freed up from your past. The blank that I want to talk about for a second is gossip. And with accusation, as with any other stronghold, the first victim of this spirit is yourself. You receive accusation, and you believe it, and you let it in, and you let it set up a home. What always happens with strongholds is that you then start transmitting that thing to the people around you because it's found a home in you. So people who accuse others, people who slander others, people who gossip about other people, they have received a spirit of accusation into themselves. And that's like hard to imagine because you, if you're like me, you think of these awful people with these cruel tongues and the things they say. And it's very hard to imagine what they have received, that they've been, that they've been victimized. And that's why they do these things. But gossip is a, is a great indicator. If somebody's just gossiping and tearing other people down. It's a great indicator that they themselves feel that they have to perform to stay good, to stay worthy of love, et cetera. So gossip's a great one. Suspicion is the same. This comes from the same spirit. Um, eh, all these words <laughs> come from the same thing. And finally, self-pity, which is, which is what you do if you feel that God's not protecting you and everyone's accusing you. Who's going to love me? I'll take care of myself, I guess. And that's self-pity. All right, on to health consequences. There's no blanks in this section. Um, but I, I would just underline that autoimmune diseases autoimmune diseases, um, are about, they're, they're about the body turning against itself. Um, and people who traffic in accusation, obviously there's a pointing finger. If I agree with accusation, I agree to accuse myself of all these things. And the, <laughs> people always go crazy when we talk about health consequences like are you saying that because my grandmother had lupus that she had this spirit of strong I don't I don't know your grandmother I can't say all I can say is that these things can be indicators because there are physical manifestations of spiritual realities and these could be indicators that this thing is at the root of it Um, so autoimmune diseases if there are autoimmune diseases Present in your generations, you know what I would do? I, personally, I would just start repenting of a spirit of accusation and go, "We're not going. Ha- I'm not going to tolerate that. It's not going to be present in my family." Um, so, autoimmune diseases. Um, we've learned a lot of stuff. I'll just name a couple of these: um, skin cancer. Um, look for self-hatred where there's skin where there's skin cancers. Self, again, self-hatred is about directing something at myself. That's the spirit of um, accusation. And th- there's things that would be obvious to you, such as like shoplifting and out of control spending. Um, that stuff. Th- those are we think of those as mental disorders when people become addic- uh, addicted to um, destructive uh, behaviors. That's because of these beliefs, which I talked about when I mentioned rebellion. Um, When there's a spirit of rebellion present, I've lost all hope. Um, There's there's no more standards on anything. God's law, if it applies to me at all, it, it applies to me so that I can be destroyed, so that he can condemn me, as opposed to, no, God's laws is what keeps you safe from the fire. And so we kick the doors out because we're hopeless. And anyways health consequences. You can look over on your uh, own time. We're happy to take emails if people have specific questions. On to the good stuff. What does God say?
1: What does God say? Okay. First thing you need to know about what God says is that the devil, that's a fill in the blank for you, is an accuser of the brethren. That is according to Revelation 12 10. You need to know that Satan, the devil, his character, his job title, he he's described as the accuser of the brethren. That is his, on his business card, accuser of the brethren. Um, and he accuses you day and night. I referenced earlier, like, you know, laying in bed and hearing replay thoughts in your head. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, do you ever, don't your thoughts ever go bananas at night? Like you're laying in bed and all of a sudden you're, at least that is the way it is for me. Like, I just start, like, coming up with these accusations and getting all worked up and whatever. But that's that's very clear that the scriptures say he is the accuser of the brethren, and day and night he will come to you and whisper his lies to you. He wants to make you feel accused and keep you under under the penalty of guilt. If He can keep you under the penalty of guilt. You're not believing in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Um. But Jesus has provided a way for you to get out, to get out under that voice of accusation that you hear day and night. Um, but we need to be able to recognize the voice of the accuser. And we talked about earlier, you know, some ways to recognize if it makes you feel condemned and unloved. But um, recognize what the voice of the accuser sound like. Does it sound, love, what, is it, what do we say, uh, accusation tears down, but love builds up. Because as long as you believe the lie, he, it, he, the enemy will keep on lying. He will take, it's like you give him superpowers, like the more you're giving him power pellets. So like when you believe his lies and you know, you're like and um, you're making his muscles stronger, his lies become more powerful in you. Uh, but when you reject them, they weaken and they fall to the ground. Um I was going to give you one more example of how that scatterbrain thing like played out into my life. Like I because I was a scatterbrain, I never thought that I was intelligent at all. If I would get good <laughs> grades or an A on anything, A on anything, I would think that it was an accident. I mean, I just never ever believed I was had any sort of intelligence. And I remember in my early 20s or mid 20s my my boss said to me, he's like He's like, you are so smart you're, I think I was resigning <laughs> and I was going off to a new job and my boss who I had like looked up to said, that does not surprise me at all. you are so smart. you're too smart for this job. I'm so glad you got that job. I was like, what?" Wow, I couldn't believe he you know I couldn't believe he said that And occasionally now that little thought that I'm not smart like, pops into my head, you know, we, we have a business which I'm primarily responsible for running and when things are going well, I'm like, I don't know how they go well, they just kinda like work. I, you know, that enemy comes into my head and would say, it's, it's not because of you, it's an accident because you're not smart. So again, when you, when you believe those things, you make them more powerful in you and they will play out for the, for the rest of your life if you don't like capture them now um, and kick them out the door. Uh, okay, so guarding against these thoughts is renewing your mind. If you're familiar with the voice, uh, the verse in Romans 12:1 through, through 12, it says to renew your mind constantly and daily. Like measure out the thoughts of, is this the Lord? Is this not the Lord? And renew your mind and make it in alignment with um, what Jesus says about you. And then be beware of religion. That's a fill in the blank. Uh, a fill in the blank earlier was that if you receive the lie, he'll keep on lying. That's your fill in the blank. And then this next one is be aware of religion, which is full of accusation. We had talked about before, um, trying to justify yourselves, or if you volunteer this many times, or if you, you know, do all these good things, give more money, then you will, um, you will be find favor and pleasing in God. But that's not true because only Jesus can justify us and make us holy alone by his work on the cross. Do you want to give the courtroom example?
0: No, but I want i want to say <laughs> I've sat in a few church services and a standard model for how a sermon works is you're a jerk. Here's how you're a jerk. Um, and here's the antidote to your jerkiness is to do these things and try harder and get better. See you next week. <laughs> um, that, that won't save anybody. Um, that working harder thing, that, that's, that spirit of accusation, this is what we said at the beginning of this little worksheet, that spirit of accusation where you go, yeah, I am a jerk, it sets you up so that you'll start performing into the law. And when you start doing that in hopes that God will like you based on that performance, you are screwed. There's no way out of there except by grace. There because you'll never perform good enough that you I can't perform so well today that it's gonna take care of all of my sin for all of my past and all of my future. It, it it can't happen. Your guilt and your shame will find you out. And anybody that's tried to do church for 20, 30 years knows what I'm talking about. We're gonna talk about religion later. And I love it when we do because i love popping that bubble that's a real deception of the enemy and it plays into accusations so much
1: okay shame shame um, so shame is an evil spirit there's a verse in job 10:15 that says even if i am innocent i can't lift my head because i am full of shame wow that's, that's really crazy yeah i know even if i'm innocent i can't lift my head because i'm full of shame your shame just weighs so heavy on you that you can't even acknowledge what the truth is and we talked about shame was introduced in genesis at the beginning um in genesis 3 10 shame over naked over their nakedness and what that produces is it produces a terror of god which goes back to separation separation from god is the goal of accusation so you kind of have this thought about god if he can ever get a hold of me because he's for sure mad at me then he would destroy me Shame has a half brother and the half brother's name is self-pity. And self-pity, our friend, our friend used to tell us, for friend Peb used to tell us, is the super glue of hell that keeps you tied to the past. So Because, because-
0: self-pity marries you to all the bad things that happened to mm-hmm. you, all bad the ways that you've been disappointed or let down, all of your failures, whatever. That's that's self-pity's whole move. Mm-hmm. We don't want self-pity. Don't want any of that self-pity. Self-pity also aggrandizes self. Just like I'm important, so I need to be thought of right. I need to think of self right. That's not the gospel. Um, You're important in as much as you're important to the heart of God. But your value comes from not from being seen as great by other people. It's by being a servant. And your greatness comes from who Jesus is. I will give this example, this, because this last blank on this, on this uh, paragraph says, we can deal with shame by confession. That's the word confession. And what the enemy, we had a friend, Michael O'Shields, who gave us this picture. He said, the devil is like a lawyer, and he wants to catch you in the hallway and keep you from going into the courtroom. He wants to grab you and say, listen, if you go in there and stand in front of that judge, he's gonna wipe you out. You know you're guilty, right? Yeah, I I do, okay, yes, I know that I'm guilty. If you go stand in front of that judge, he's gonna condemn you to hell, he's gonna destroy you. Don't go in there, you don't wanna deal with him. And I can tell you that as a counselor type who's met with a whole bunch of people, there are so many people in this position that they feel like I just can't go to God with my stuff because I know how mad he is. And I know how he feels about me. I know that he hates me. Mm -hmm. What Michael says is instead of listening to that lawyer, we have an advocate. That's actually his name, an advocate. He comes to us, Jesus comes to us in the hallway and he goes, don't listen to this guy. Mm -hmm. We need to go stand in front of the judge. You're guilty, right? Yes, I am guilty. Yeah, but there's hope for you even if you're guilty. Let's go stand before the judge. And he takes us into the courtroom. We stand before the judge, God. And then Jesus actually takes the penalty for us for whatever our sin is, and we get acquitted by God's, by God's justice. His justice is actually served in his mercy. He's been merciful to us, and he executes his judgment on his son. And so the, the, the way out of, of shame is to confess it. We go before the Lord, stand before his throne and say, okay, it's true, I lied. I didn't work all those hours. I lied on my taxes, whatever the thing is, I lied. And the Lord in all of his goodness, he looks at us by virtue of our confession and our standing with Jesus. He bangs the gavel down and he says, you're innocent. What, how'd that happen? And, and, you know, the devil's out there in the hallway and uh, because he, he wants to lie to us to think that our shame is permanent. It's that permanent deal that accusation brings along. You'll always be in shame. No, we won't. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to confess, agree with the truth, and then we, we get free because of who Jesus is. Okay. You want to
1: read that next sentence?
0: God's grace through Jesus is all you need to be righteous. There's a couple of great passages on that. Um, Romans 4 is a butte on this subject. You are worthy of God's love if he says you are. Mm -hmm. And we need to have the humility to just agree with him. If he says, look, I know all of your past, but I'm telling you that you're worthy, then we need to have the humility to go, okay, I'm worthy because you say that I am.
1: So if we believe his that we know that he's worthy and we get that grounded into our heart we need to watch ourselves against anything else that we would want that that the enemy would have us receive that refutes that lie so be very careful of what you receive um 1st John 3:20 says if our hearts condemn us God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things So our heart can condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. So be so careful what you receive. Um, Our friend Pebb used to say, be a Teflon skillet, and just say, I don't receive that. Um, When I first learned this teaching, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times in my life I would walk around to everybody and everything. I don't receive that, I don't receive that, I don't receive that. And growing up, I used to love Wonder Woman. She was like my little hero of the the 70s. And uh, she used to have those like You know, those little magic bracelets or whatever. And so I just imagine myself wearing those bracelets. Those bracelets used to like rebound. If you're like in your 20s, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, so like I just kind of imagine myself wearing these bracelets. So I hear some accusation, I'm like, boom,
0: boom. Even if it came from inside.
1: Boom, boom, boom. boom. Oh, inside? Boom. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you can use your Wonder Woman bracelet, you can be a Teflon Skillet, however you want to do it to actually tell yourself, I mean that helped me so much at the beginning, like, I mean I need to remind myself now too, don't receive that because in your day when you start walking around just interacting with people, there's so much accusation that happens back and forth. I mean even in a workplace there's so much, you know, CYA where you have to like, you're gonna have accusations shoved at you all the time in an effort for somebody to protect themselves from whatever's gone wrong in a project or whatever. Um, So on that note, your soul is your ground to watch over and manage. So for me, my Wonder Woman bracelets helped me watch over my soul. Um, But your soul is your ground. So you need to come up with a way to manage what your soul is receiving. If we store up lies that others say about us, we will begin to live as they were true. And like I mentioned, that is about the motherhood example about the scatterbrain example I was beginning to live as though they were true and I was start especially with the motherhood I was engineering my life around the fact that I'm not going to be a good mother so I better steer away from from that path um,
0: I want to say one thing about this about this point be careful about what you receive this I know that in our in our community, this phraseology of, I don't receive that has sort of gotten into the water actually without the teaching behind it. And so we are now hearing people say, I don't receive that when people are correcting them. They're coming to them in a godly way saying like, there's a, there's a sin pattern here. It's hurting you. And I want to talk to you about it. And they'll say, I don't want to receive that. Well, (laughs) hold, hold on a second. Um, I, If somebody comes to you because they see sin in your life and out of love they want to help you correct it you don't say this you don't say I don't receive that just because it hurts or it's unsavory we need to be able to receive honest correction from people that love us and love God and are trying to help us so I got to throw that in here when we're talking about saying no to a a accusation of the enemy Anyways, we, we got to be people who can receive correction. That's mm-hmm. all. All right, we've got three more things we want you to do as a response of what God says, mm-hmm. and then we'll be done.
1: Yeah, then one of them is be very careful what you say. So as you're being careful for what you receive, you want to also be careful about what you're saying to others. Our words have so much power. I mean, the, the memory verse is death and life. Death and life is found in the power of the tongue. So your words have enormous power as other people's words on you have power. They have creative power, and you need to understand and wield your words wisely. Um, When our hearts and our words are in agreement with God, they release his power. When we are speaking God's truth, when we are believing God's truth for our life, and we're speaking truth over them, I mean, God's power is just like unleashed. And then if our words are in agreement with Satan, they release his power, and his power pellets get... Um, get, get stronger.
0: So how, how do we use this power? We're delighted that there's power in the tongue. What, what do we do about it? Don't be accusing each other. Instead, bless liberally. Mm-hmm. Um, our response to the fact that there's power in the tongue isn't to be quiet all the time, it's to bless. So the last line here says, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do good. Bless spouses, bless your children, bless employees, bless yourself. Everything. So it will be as simple as, Dora, I bless you as a mom. I, I bless you as a, as a smart woman who runs a business. You know, just blessing, um, instead of cutting down. And you could do the same with yourself. Is speaking those words over yourself, which God has said to you. God does not called me a scatterbrain. He says that I have a sound mind. Mm-hmm. Just speak that over yourself. The Lord says I have a sound mind. That's a blessing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Yeah. Be careful about what you say.
1: And do not judge. You can go and do that. With you.
0: Um, the next one is do not judge, condemn, or accuse. Now, we're going to spend um, an entire lecture talking about um, judgment, but there is such a thing as unrighteous judgment. And the here's the, uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag on this one. You're not qualified to do the judging. There's a verse which is probably in here somewhere. It's in James um Anyway, it, it's in James. And, and he says, um, there, I think it's James 4.12, it says, There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Um, and Paul actually says, and I'm sure that this is referenced in here somewhere, Paul actually says, I do not judge myself. Um, so we leave all that to the Lord. So we, don't, we do not judge, condemn, or accuse. And I'll let you read all these passages in your quiet times this coming week. I think we've said enough about do not be an accuser. And the last thing that we want to say is be a person of grace. Be a person of grace. You have to receive grace and you have to be good at it. It's a skill that you can develop receiving grace for yourself. And you need somebody who extends grace to people around you. When people fail, do you jump on them? with your accusation stuff, aha, I knew. I mean, marriage is the classic place to do that because we know each other so well, we're so familiar with our shortcomings that each of us has, that when we fail, do you jump in with, yeah, you always, and you, get to, you j- immediately jump from one to 100 and go, yeah. Well, that's accusation. Instead of being a person of grace and holding back and going like, you know what? I don't know why you meant, I don't know what you meant when you said that. I'm gonna hold off. Let's just talk through that for a second. That hurt my feelings. Let's talk about it. Okay, you know what? I give you grace. You may have had a bad day, whatever. And not going to that place of accusations. Let's be somebody who gives grace to other people. Um, I'll give you a great example. I was just thinking about today. I, I talk with so many guys whose, whose marriages are destroyed because of pornography, that when I come across a single guy who just tells me, he might tell me, I just, you know, the, I just had the first bad experience and I'm just struggling, whatever. My tendencies go, you wicked thing, what are you doing with your life, you're destroying your marriage. You know, Whoa, I, I'm 17. You know, and instead to go like, okay, I want to give you grace here. You know what? The Lord doesn't condemn you. There's a trap that's been set for you. Don't eat this poison. The Lord loves you. And I can, I forgive you for this thing. I I have the power to forgive you, right? We learned that, right? We talked about bitterness. We have the power to forgive. I forgive you for this thing. I'm going to let it go. I want to be a person of grace. That's the way that the Lord is to me. I depend on it. I got to have it every day. I I rely on his grace. So I want to receive his grace. I want to give his grace over to other people. Great verse here in Proverbs 19:11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. I just want to, I just want to speak a, just a couple of verses of um, absolution um, over you. Um, listen to this, Micah 7. You, there's no notes. You can even put down your pen if you want to. I just want you to receive this. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Thank you, Lord. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and he will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't he good? And this is supposedly the bad, mean old God from the Old Testament, right? This is a prophet, Micah, who's telling us what God is like. He's the kind of God that will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. I just want to pray right now and read one more passage. God, I just want to thank you that you're the kind of God who casts our, our iniquities into the depths of the sea. This, the, I love the phraseology that Micah has. It says, you will subdue our iniquities. You will win over them. My sins don't define me, they won't won't, um, conquer me, nor will I let others' sins conquer my perception of them. Help us to just get us free in this next couple of weeks. Help us get free and understand what the enemy has tried to do through accusation. Joel 2, don't tear your clothing in your grief, instead tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God. There's that invitation to come back into the courtroom because he's gracious and he's merciful. He's not easily angered. He's filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. And Psalm 25 says, He who hopes in the Lord will never be filled with shame. So we receive that in Jesus' name. We receive it for ourselves. We receive it for you guys. We pray that this teaching uh, is a blessing to you. And we pray that accusation will be removed from your households, never to affect your generations in the future.
1: One, one final verse. She wants verse. one more. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: was, I thought it was a pretty good closing sentence. I was jumping in on there. Yeah, go ahead.
1: All righty. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation.
0: Amen. Bless you. Thanks.